can stop us now. Did you miss me? baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. Hello there, Hello. and welcome to Let's Slay with Swell and Jay. I am Swell, and with me, as always, is... I'm Jay. Hey, Jay, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing really good. This is this is great. We uh we're here. It's December. It's the holiday times. I'm I've I've been waiting for this episode for for a while now. Even though we're only on episode eight, it's only episode eight. Um, we would have had more episodes, except you know, obviously there was a lot of different things that happened that got in the way. Predominantly the elbow, um, which you can go back and listen to one of our episodes called the elbow. Um. We really wanted to do one more episode before 2023 comes to an end. I'm so glad that we were able to find the time. This is episode eight, as we said, of our show. Um, and hopefully next year we will be doing an episode a week. So yeah. we'll do more than eight episodes next year. But we're really going to keep this focused on two things uh, this episode. First, and this is going to be the big chunk of the episode, uh, Jay and I are going to share our top five favorite Christmas movies. Um, I will say a little bit of spoiler, Jay and I did consult before recording to ensure that there were no overlaps. So, you know, there are some films on his list that I love and vice versa. And so then we slotted other things in. So we are talking about 10 totally different films. No one needs to hear us name the same movie. And, you know, when the films are brought up, we will both chime in and give our thoughts on them. And then once we're through with that, we'll just talk a little bit about wrapping up the year, what some of our favorite things were, how we're feeling and what maybe some of our hopes are for 2024. Does that sound wait. good? Yeah, I can't wait. Absolutely. Um, before we start with the movies, what, this is like, might be a super cheesy question, but I think it's interesting. What does Christmas mean to you? I think um, Christmas means uh, community. I think community is the word I would use. Um, I, it's, I would say family, friends, more than anything else. It's about spending time with the people that are close to you. I, uh, some people will say it's about presents or it's about, you know, they love decorations or, or what have you. But I would say for me, it's mostly about community and seeing people that I care for and love. I love that. Yeah. Um, excuse me, not too dissimilar for me. It, it's no secret that I'm Jewish, so I don't necessarily celebrate Christmas in the religious sense, but I, I do like the holiday for, the reasons you said uh, for family, for friends, for community, I find that it's always a time of year where, for the most part, people are maybe a little bit nicer, which does beg the question why they're not nice all year round. But uh, people are a little bit nicer. And I do love, you know, the decorations, the the movies, the music. It, it's just a festive, fun time of year. And so much of what I like about it is secular anyways. Mm -hmm. You know, Christmas trees, ornaments, some of the movies we're going to talk about. You know, Christmas over the years has morphed so far beyond the initial religious uh, connotations to the holiday, which are super valid and I know very important to a lot of people and I respect that. But Christmas to me is 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 just a fun time of year where you get to see people maybe you don't see the rest of the year and drink some eggnog and watch some fun movies. And let's talk about some of those movies right now, shall we? Absolutely. So let's work 
in uh, ascending order, starting with number five on your list. So what is your fifth favorite Christmas movie, Jay? My fifth favorite Christmas movie comes from the year 2017, and it's a movie called Anna and the Apocalypse. Oh, I love uh, I, I love this choice. Now, people that don't know Anna and the Apocalypse, it is a musical. It's not uh, about. Yeah. OK, go ahead. Yeah, it's a musical <laughs> that, that is uh, that is about uh, Christmas. And it happens to take place where a group of people are trying to basically uh, survive a zombie apocalypse. Uh, during the Christmas holiday, and it takes place at a, it's a private school, boarding school, um, uh, and it's about this group of people trying to band together over the Christmas holiday and basically survive a, a zombie apocalypse through song and dance and uh, stabbing zombies with uh, sharpened candy canes. And I really like this movie. I I this movie was not even on my radar. I remember when it came out, and um, if I recall, it, it's one of the it's one of the early it's when Orion as a publishing brand came back. If you remember, I do I think it was, is, I think it's one of the first wasn't, I think it was, if I remember correctly, it's one of the first movies that they were doing in like under the new, the new, when they brought Orion back. Yeah. And, and in that first year. And I, I just really like this movie because it, it was something that I saw on Hulu because I believe Hulu had a deal to, to show it. And I, everybody was raving about it. It was having uh, good buzz. And I was like, I need to watch this movie. And I just really love all of the musical numbers in the film. The performances are amazing. And it, it, it's, it's, I love offbeat holiday movies that take a, an absurd scenario like horror and then basically spin it on the holiday. Yeah, I, you know, so if someone were to ask me, what's your favorite genre of movie? The two ones I go to are horror and musicals. Yes. Um, which is not to say I don't love many other genres, but the fact that this marries both of those genres and then you have the added Christmas setting to it. It's it's like violent and funny and delightful and romantic and badass. And it's just a really, really good movie. And I, I love that you picked it. I was going to put it on mine and it's definitely a movie more people should watch. It's It's just very fun. It's just a fun movie. If you want to sit down and have fun with some friends or family during the holidays that like those genres and see something that's a little bit offbeat and different and have a have a good time, that's definitely one I recommend. Yeah, don't show it to mom if mom doesn't like blood and guts because it is violent. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <But> yeah. <laughs> for, for, for those who are open to that sort of cinema, it, it's awesome. Uh, my number five is Carol. Carol. Uh, Carol came out in 2015. It is directed by Todd Haynes. It stars... Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara, both of who were Oscar nominated. It is a lesbian romance that takes place in the early 1950s, set during the Christmas season through the new year. Um, it's a tender, beautiful movie, really lush and romantic. And even though it's not like heavily Christmas, it has a lot of Christmas iconography throughout. And the movie just brings me the warm and fuzzy feeling that I associate with the holidays. Um, the two uh, lead actresses have the most incredible chemistry. Um, there's a scene where they first meet where Rooney Mara's character is working at a department store wearing a Santa hat. And just that scene and that image has become one of my favorite images of holiday cinema. Um, it's a slightly more challenging movie than maybe you might want to watch at, at Christmas time. But if you haven't seen it, I, I recommend it so highly. It's such a wonderful film. I, I haven't seen this movie. Like, I actually have not seen this movie. I'm sitting here looking at it right now, and I have not seen this film. It's, so now... It's now fantastic. It oh, it's on Netflix. Yeah. Okay. 
it, oh, okay. it's a fantastic movie and one of the things i like about christmas movies and i think we'll discover this as we continue on through our list is there's so many choices beyond just the i don't even want to say obvious ones but the like super super christmasy ones right, right? christmas can be an enhancement to a movie and in my mind it's still a christmas movie like i think there's one or two movies we're probably going to talk about that often have a debate is it a christmas movie isn't a christmas movie my philosophy on it is if that movie is a christmas movie to you then it's a christmas movie and the opinion of anyone else <laughs> doesn't matter sure sometimes sometimes uh christmas as the holiday is the main course the entree if you will sometimes it's just you know it's an appetizer or it's a it's a side garnish Yes. on something a lot larger and that's and both are christmas movies absolutely that's, absolutely so. so yeah carol again if you haven't seen it also i haven't seen it yeah. the the score uh for this movie by carter burwell is stunning it's on a constant uh repeat on my playlist so i i i love that i uh i'll probably actually go catch that soon because i again you took me by surprise here i never i had never actually seen it i love i love when we talk about stuff on here just a side note where there there's things that we haven't either experienced or or whatnot and you can sit there and go oh well i hadn't thought about that it kind of took me by kind of took me by surprise you yeah, know well if you if you do watch it you have to let me know what you think absolutely absolutely i absolutely will yeah for all sure, right for sure. on that note what would your number four favorite christmas movie be um i'm gonna go with scrooged Ooh. starring bill murray you know um i there's so many iterations of the Christmas Carol, and we're probably going to talk about multiple iterations throughout this episode. I'm I'm predicting because well, I'm not predicting because we know, but I will say that this is one of the ones that when I was younger, um, really struck a chord with me. Um, it's it's a little it's a little gritty. It's a little um, it was considered new age for the time that it came out, and it was supposed to be a contemporary telling of the classic starring Bill Murray as the as the Scrooge character as a network media executive um I think that I think that the reason I love it so much is that there's so much there's so much difference between all of the ghosts in the film you know from Carol Carol Kane David Johansson uh who else was in that movie uh uh I remember Bobcat Goldthwait playing mm -hmm. play, playing basically the Bob Cratchit level character remember uh, there was just so much going on in this film. Uh, Michael Pollard's in that movie. You know, there, there are so many like really good. Robert Goulet's in that movie at a yes. certain point in time. Robert Goulet has a has a has a walk. You know, there, there's so many. There were so many great performances in that film. The one that stands out to me is Carol Kane. Obviously, Carol yeah. Kane. You know, uh, you know where she's just beating him up half the half the uh, of her appearance in the film. <laughs> you know, which I which I love. And also, you and I talked about it before this episode went on the uh, the, the ghost of Christmas yet to come. Uh, uh, some of the most terrifying scenes for me as a child, for as a younger child, uh, were watching the the ghost of Christmas Future yet to come, whatever you want to call it. Um, uh, watching uh, Bill Murray burn alive inside of a coffin. Yeah, uh, was very terrifying to me as a child. I, 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 I still those scenes still get to me. I, I think that that movie is so. It has a certain like I don't know the cinematography in that movie is fantastic. It has a certain like darkness to it. Like it's just like everything is very um, the way it plays with shadow. 
there's a lot of shadow in that film, like where Carol Kane's character is spotlight and then she comes in from out of the shadow and then she punches him in the face or, you know, kicks him in the crotch or whatever, you know, like there's there's a lot of that going on. It just feels really dark and 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 I wouldn't say dingy, but it's like it, it's definitely there's definitely a um there's definitely like a darkness to that to that film, to that iteration of the of the classic story, which I really, really love. Yeah, it, it's it's a coincidence because we didn't discuss what movies we we're going to talk about until today. And last night I rewatched Scrooged. Oh, um, so yeah. it, almost as if I my something in my back of my brain was anticipating it. Um, mm. it it's a really good movie. Um, I agree with everything you said. What what really struck me watching it last night is how on the one hand, it's super, super 80s. It has like that. You were saying that like gringiness, but I think it has sort of like this like irreverent idiosyncratic approach that feels very mid to late eighties to me. Yes. Um, but in some ways, I also think it's really ahead of its time. The fact that the, the Scrooge character is a television executive who is producing this live Christmas special and all this stuff about the marketing choices. I think it really threw people off in some cases when it came out in the late eighties, because that sort of meta content in a movie was still really just being discovered um and in i think it play almost plays better now than it may have in the late 80s because i know when it came out it did well at the box office but a lot of people were turned off by how dark it was and it had some elements of horror but it's really really solid the performance to me that stands out that i think makes it all work is karen allen Yes, Karen um, Allen is so good in that movie. She has one of the great movie smiles, and her and Bill Murray have really great chemistry. And all of the humor and horror and darkness only works because it has this big beating heart underneath it all, which I think you need in, in any successful Christmas Carol adaptation. And Karen Allen is there to keep Bill Murray grounded, keep the heart uh, pumping, and, you know, spoiler alert, when you know scrooge and in, in this case what was this character's name francis uh um you, you're talking about uh bobcat goldthwaite's character no or? no bill bill murray's character I want to oh say it's uh frank cross oh frank cross maybe it's francis yeah. frank cross um, yeah they call him francis remember when uh, he goes to christmas pass his his mom calls him yes francis okay so i, I was frank. right when when he has his epiphany and realizes mm -hmm. he needs to be nicer it really feels earned um so yeah, oh, yeah. It, it's a great choice oh oh yeah and uh you know we would be remiss to not say that 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 when this film came out, it was probably, you know, pretty much Richard Donner at the height of his powers. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like he was probably able to get away with stuff that the studios at that time wouldn't have let other filmmakers do. But because he was Richard Donner and he had done Superman and Lethal Weapon and all this good stuff. Goonies, like, yeah. Goonies. He was like, yeah, do what you want, Rich. Yeah, um, do it. Do, do it up. But yeah, that was my number. That's my number four. Awesome. Uh, my number four is another one that might surprise you or throw people off, and that is oh, really? Stan Stanley Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut. Oh man, the longest the longest movie shoot of all time. Yes, I <laughs> I think this movie is an incredible movie. Um, it, it's mysterious. It's it's sexy. It it's really weird. It has all these mysteries to it, but it does take place at Christmas time. And I actually think aside from all of the other stuff, it has two elements to it that I think make it a great Christmas movie. The first is it has a not so subtle anti-capitalist message about how Christmas has become too much about excess, excess and commercialization and capitalism. And yep. that's sort of an undercurrent throughout the entire film. 
But I think it's also about this guy, Tom Cruise's character, who's having a reawakening and rediscovering things about himself and rediscovering his wants and desires and what he needs to do. And there's nothing more Christmassy than that, going through that journey of self-discovery um, and realizing what matters to you. In this case, fucking his wife is <laughs> what matters. Um, but I think it's a great Christmas movie thematically, visually. I mean, some of the like the use of of Christmas lights to light the film throughout is stunning. And then, of course, you have the sex party and the masks and you have Nicole and Tom together when they were together and Nicole bears it all. And it has so many interesting things to it. But as a Christmas movie, I think it really works. And I, I love Eyes Wide Shut. It's one of my favorite Kubrick films. I think it's one of the best films of the 90s, to be honest. And I, I had to put it on here. I actually uh, I actually worked at a movie theater when that released. Um, I was actually an usher at a movie theater. It was trying to keep uh, teenagers out of a film that hit an NC-17 rating, which everybody yes. was intrigued about. Yes. And it was like trying to keep the, the kids out of that film just because it was rated NC-17. Also, as I said at the top, a uh, little trivia for everyone. It's the longest movie shoot in uh, ever recorded at 400 days. Yeah, so, that's... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I'm surprised a David Fincher shoot hasn't gone longer considering how meticulous and how many takes sure. Fincher likes to do, but Kubrick was a perfectionist. For sure. I, he, I, I He needed everything to be exactly as he envisioned it. And in the case of, of Eyes Wide Shut, it took forever. We're talking about the making of it. There's the, you know, scenes of, of Tom Cruise walking through a very Christmassy New York and Kubrick intentionally wanted it to have a certain level of artifice. So mm -hmm. instead of shooting in New York, instead of even shooting outside, Tom Cruise would be walking on a treadmill in front of a big rear projection screen showing the stuff he was walking through in New York. That's sort of how they used to do sh shoots for people driving in cars in cities. And he just took that and, and translated it to someone walking. And when you watch the movie, it doesn't look fake until you really start to think about it. But it's such a like dreamlike hazy effect that really gets your mind I don't, I don't know, uncomfortable, but it, it achieves this surreal tone throughout the movie that just makes the mystery and the enigmas. And then you have all the Christmas lights. It's just such a weird hypnotic movie. I love that. I love that. I, I And I do love that film. Um, one of the things that sticks with me about it um, is when it released, uh, there was people don't people may not remember this or if you haven't seen the film or or grew up during that period, is that people were starting to question whether Stanley Kubrick was still relevant. You yeah. know, during that period of time, you know, his time had been largely passed by that time, if you want to be honest, of where his heyday was. And and uh, that movie was very much a statement uh, for him that he still had a lot to give uh, the film community. Yeah. And, and was a statement piece by him because uh, everybody this is back before, you know, the Internet was, you know, at the height of what it is now and running rampant about rumors about films and news about films, or whatever. At the time, I remember there was a lot of talk about this film was that it was running for so long that it was destined to fail because and it wasn't going to be good because, it, you know, it was taking over a year to shoot. And and he hadn't made a film. The last film he made before this was Full Metal Jacket, which was 12 years prior. Correct. And and just for him to put the film out and then it be so well received and so critically lauded and uh, it was a it was a it was definitely a triumph for him. It was a triumph yeah. for, for Tom and Nicole. And then, you know, you know, very sadly, he passed away. And and yeah. I've always wondered, as many others have, what his artificial intelligence would have looked like. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know, because, you know, Spielberg, that was 
it was Kubrick's concept and Kubrick is still credited on the movie, but Spielberg took it over. Oh, Anyways, I remember. Yeah. We could talk Kubrick for hours, but we're talking yes. about oh, Christmas gosh. movies. Oh gosh. So let's, let's uh, move on. Jay, what is your number third favorite Christmas movie? I'm just going to swerve in a completely different direction. I'm going to go with 2015's Krampus. Oh, like I'm like going to do, I'm going to do Krampus. Like Krampus. I, it's Krampus. So <laughs> I'm going to choose Krampus. Because I, again, like with Anna and the Apocalypse, I love the mashup when we do horror or or horror light as as some some of this stuff that'll be on the list is is. Um, I love Krampus because it's horror and Christmas together, and I and I love this tale of Krampus who comes for you know the naughty children. And, uh, you know, basically these people are trapped in a house in a blizzard. I don't want to ruin too much about it, but it is if you haven't seen it, it's a horror film that you can you should see. It's definitely like a uh, what you would say is like a monster piece or or like a just a standard like killer on the loose type of deal. Um, I it, it definitely has a little bit of an 80s throwback vibe or 70s throwback vibe of like, hey, there's a slasher on the loose. He just happens to be a giant uh, demon horn demon man named Krampus who is going to come for the naughty people and you know basically drag them away um I I like the setting of this film a lot I like that it's like it's not about like oh Krampus is going to come in the middle of the night and stalk people stalk people and they they're just too dumb to get away it literally takes place during a blizzard where everybody is kind of like trapped in the house and what are you supposed to do? You know, anybody that's lived in anywhere in this country or anywhere in the world that has, you know, 12 inches of snow, 15 inches of snow, 18 inches of snow, 24 inches of snow knows you can't really go anywhere during that period of time. And, you know, you're kind of just stuck in your house. And it's really the the movie actually really when I first saw it, um, one, I loved it. But two, it also terrified I me. Mean, it's like, oh, yeah, it'd be, it would be terrifying to be in this situation where something was trying to come after you where there's like 15 inches of snow or 24 inches of snow on the ground. Like, where are you yeah. going to go? Where where are you going to go? run down the street? And, and, you know, what do you, what do you do? You know? Yeah. Krampus is great. Um, I love Mike Doherty. He also did trick or treat. So the fact yes. that he ended up doing a Christmas horror movie thereafter. Awesome. Adam Scott, Tony Collette, David Koechner, such a great cast. Such, so many good plays on like classic, classic, excuse me, Christmas iconography, but twisted to be scary. Um, yes. And it had a really solid Halloween Horror Nights house. And our listeners know how we feel about Halloween. We Horror love Nights. Halloween Horror Nights. Um, I, I would imagine you didn't get to experience it because it was I did not before your Horror Nights days. But yes. if you haven't at least watched a YouTube video, you should really good house. But yeah, it's a great movie. Um, it it almost, you know, David Koechner's character and Adam Scott's character Adam feel, Scott, yeah. feel sort of like a play on the uh national lampoon's christmas vacation relationship where keckner is cousin eddie um with his kids it's it's it has the humor it has the horror and tony collette yeah um (laughs) it's a really good movie i love that you chose that yeah um that one my number third choice is and i sort of alluded to this earlier a movie that has been debated since it came out whether or not it's a christmas movie i think it's a christmas movie and that's why i'm naming it and it's mother die hard Die Hard. I mean, come on. Like, Die, Die Hard, Hard is one of the, if not the greatest action movie ever made. It it uses the Christmas setting so well with the score, with the Christmas party, with the ho, 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 now I have a machine gun. It, it has Bruce Willis at the height of his powers coming off of Moonlighting. No one thought this guy was going to be an action star, and he comes on the scene as John McClane and is the action star. Alan Rickman is maybe the greatest villain in an action movie ever. It's clever. It's gritty. 
it's so well executed and it does make me think of the holidays because for me it's not christmas i try to watch it every year either on christmas eve or on christmas mm. die hard to me is synonymous with christmas and it's just it really doesn't get much better than die hard in 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 any way it's awesome it is it has held the test of time so well i love die hard I, I always associate it with nightmares in podiatry because he runs around with no shoes and socks. On that is true. Feet. That is true. That is very true. <laughs> the pain his feet goes through in the in that film. I, I've always worried about his feet. I'm not even worried about the rest of his body, just his feet. His feet just get tore up through the whole movie because he's running around barefoot and yeah. there's glass and everything else. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I, I, and I will it, say for what it's worth, you know, obviously they've made a lot more diehard movies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the third one I really like, um, but man, this one has never been really honestly, since it came out has hardly been touched by any American action cinema. We, there's, we, there's a few that have come close in, in other ways, but it just, it nails everything. We can talk about, we can talk about, um, uh, probably we could probably spend a whole episode talking about Die Hard and its sequels. Um, one of the things that I, I would say about Die Hard is the, time and place setting of a diehard film makes or breaks a diehard film. Yeah. Um, diehard films are not about standard, you know, um, you know, save the world pieces. They're not. Um, the reason why diehard, the original is, is so iconic is because of the Nakatomi tower Yeah, and, and Christmas time and Alan Rickman yep. and, and the third one is so iconic because of the opposite setting. They took it into the opposite setting of summertime in New York on the other coast. We can talk about that on another episode, but it, but Christmas means a lot to that movie. People, they, There's people that still come out to this day and say, oh, it's not a Christmas movie. Yes, it is. It, it, if Christmas wasn't a part of that movie, it's not as special. I it's just, it's not. Couldn't agree know? more. Yep. I couldn't agree more. Exactly. Um, and that's that's Die Hard. So we're we're coming here uh, toward the stretch. What is your number two favorite Christmas movie? My number two favorite Christmas movie is probably on a lot of people's list at the top of their list, and that is Muppet Christmas Carol. <sighs> I love Muppet Christmas Carol. It, it it's it's there's so many things about that I can say about the film is that one the music is amazing. Uh, two Brian Henson's directing is great. The performances by Frank Oz, Michael Caine. I, I, Michael Michael Kine. Yeah, exactly. And I, the thing about that works about Muppet Christmas Carol, and that it's hard to hard to uh, like replicate with the Muppets, or what Disney continues to try to replicate with the Muppets is the Muppets are are part of the story. They're not an anomaly. They are integrated into the very human story that is told through a Christmas Carol. Yeah, and they're not treated. They're not. They're not treated as other. They're not treated as some kind of weird thing. They're literally just people that exist in the world, you know, living beings that that work with the humans. Nobody says, hey, you're an eagle or whatever, until they point out like you're a mouse or whatever. But a lot of it is them just talking back and forth. You have Fozzie the bear talking to human characters like they're both human characters, you know? Yeah. And um, you can also find this in I think it's very well done in this film and in Muppet Treasure Island. Yes, I, I, I think that's why those films work so well. I so I said at the top that we compared notes to make sure we weren't repeating films. So in the interest of full disclosure, a Muppet Christmas Carol is my favorite Christmas movie. Oh, okay, um, I, I think it's incredible for every yes. reason you said. Um, but I saw a meme the other day that I I posted on my Instagram story, 
Um, and it said, Muppet Christmas Carol works because Michael Caine treats all of the Muppets like they're actors. Yes. And Muppet Treasure Island works because Tim Curry treats himself like he's a Muppet. I, I would agree with that. Which I was would... so spot on. But I think that's the magic trick of Muppet Christmas Carol is you have the inherent silliness of the Muppets. You have this beautifully crafted world, like the set design and then the way the puppets are integrated and what Brian Henson did is so beautiful. But then you have Michael Caine treating it as if he's just in a super serious, really beautiful adaptation of A Christmas Carol. He plays it so earnestly and it works flawlessly. I said this with Scrooge in, an, in a different way, but because Michael Caine does that, the epiphany at the end hits so hard because Michael Caine's performance was so earnest throughout the movie yes so the moment that always makes me ball like a baby and yeah. spoiler alerts but i have to imagine if you're listening to this you've probably seen muppet christmas carol if not mm-hmm. turn this off get on disney plus and watch the movie it's not even 90 minutes is when beaker gives scrooge his tiny little scarf oh that's yes it's such a good scene it kills me it like in the best way it is such a wonderful moment and the songs the songs, oh, the songs in this movie are so good. The songs. And the, the the part that honestly breaks me and makes me feel emotional is, again, we're talking spoilers here. If you haven't seen Muppet Christmas Carol, it was released in 1992. You can go on Disney Plus right now and watch yes. it. <laughs> um, there's, there's, the, there's the scene, the love we found at the end of the movie with Michael Caine and all the characters around the dinner table mm-hmm. and, the, and the zoom out from, the, from Bob Cratchit's house over the city is, uh, is my, my, by far my favorite scene. Like, I know it's the last scene of the last like shot of the movie, but I love that shot so much of Michael Caine surrounded by like basically 50 Muppets characters yep. and singing and such a great song. Such a great song. I also really love that Gonzo plays Charles Dickens mm. and Rizzo the Rat plays himself and is credited himself. as himself in the credits. <laughs> plays himself. I it, love that it, they didn't try to make him somebody else. No, it, it's an incredible movie. I, incredible. I'm so glad it was on your list because if not, it would have been on mine. Incredible. Um, my number two is, uh, uh, I think a more traditional classic, but not the first one, even though I do love the first one as well. And that is Home Alone 2 Lost in New York. I have a huge affinity for the Home Alone movies, but for some reason, the older I've gotten, I like the sequel even more than the first one. Um, did I lose you? No, you didn't at all. I'm actually oh. just earnestly listening to you oh, talking about uh, you were so Home Alone quiet. 2 I was Lost like, in New York. Did you have, I, did your internet go <laughs> No, 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 absolutely not. Um, absolutely not. I'm just listening to you in earnest because I I honestly love the Home Alone movies as well. Okay. And, and Jack, please so, continue. So yeah. Home Alone 2 and what Chris Columbus does here, I think is very much in the Robert Zemeckis way of sequel making. And that yes. is you take everything that worked in the first one, do it again, but do it, more so like you double down so home alone 2 in many ways is a direct remake of home alone 1 the narrative beats what happens when the character archetypes it just changes the setting and twists things a little bit differently so instead of the the neighbor who shovels snow you have the pigeon lady instead of his own home you have his brother's home that's being uh, refurbished uh, in what i think is probably the upper west side of new york Yes, um, that, that that I love that that little feature because I think anybody that watched the film was wondering, okay, so we're watching it, right? Yeah. And we're saying, okay, we're going on similar story beats, except it's just moved to a different city. 
yes. on a different a different location. Where is Kevin going to set his traps? Yep. You know, and 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 the 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 family member who has the renovated who's renovating the place sets sets it up perfectly. It, it really does. And don't get me wrong, it has plenty of contrivances, right? Like there's this montage once Kevin first arrives to New York where he's going around and seeing all these New York sites. There is no way any one person could see all those sites in one day. But what I will say is as a proud, passionate New Yorker, few movies to my mind capture New York at Christmas time as well as this movie does. Um, it's also very much a time capsule because you know it has the the twin towers. It has the scene with um he who shall not be named, our former president in the Plaza Hotel. Yes. Um, I love how it uses the Plaza Hotel. And listen, the the cherry on top of this very delicious Christmas comedy Sunday is Tim Curry. Tim Curry. Tim Curry like, just took over the movie. He he re- like how do you top Joe Pesci and and um Daniel Stern being hilarious and silly? Tim Curry. Um, this movie is, is it just nails it for me. It's nostalgic, it's hilarious, it's warm and fuzzy. Um I like, and I know some people don't, I like that the traps and the violence in this movie is even so much worse than what they go through in the first movie. I mean, in real life, Harry and Marv would have been dead time and time again. And it has what I think is one of the single funniest shots in the history of American live action comedy. I know where and you're going. And it is when Daniel's turn is getting electrocuted <laughs> and you just full on see no flesh no blood just Just his skeleton skeleton with hair and you have daniel stern screaming (laughs) exactly (laughs) and and it's it's like something out of a looney tunes cartoon but in live action and because it plays it just so you know matter of factly it kills me every time i still remember i still remember it never it never fails like i actually repeat this at least once a year during the holidays or you know sometime during the year is the one line that i think about it's like his character is caught in the basement getting electrocuted and then he climbs up remember he mm. climbs all the way up and he gets to the, the 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 main level of the house and he kicks in the door and he yells harry I've reached the top. Yes. And then he proceeds to fall down the yes. hole to the lower level again. It, it's, sla- it's slapstick greatness. And I, I understand it's not everyone's sense of humor, but I think Chris Columbus and Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern do it so well. Daniel so, Stern so was well. on a roll during that. Dur- People forget that Daniel Stern was on a roll during that period between the two Home Alone films, Rookie of the Year. He d- Daniel Stern directed Rookie of the Year. Yes, exactly. He directed that movie. <laughs> and he was great performing in that movie. So funny. You know, <laughs> so, so funny. But I love it. Not to go on too much of a tangent, but I, I rewatched Rookie of the Year fairly recently, right after I broke my elbow, because it felt thematically appropriate. Rowan um, Gardner. Yeah. The character, Daniel Stern's character repeatedly finds himself in situations where he gets locked in things so he can't be super present (laughs) which you just know is daniel stern the director saying okay i need to minimize my role so i can focus on directing and not acting let's trap my character in these absurd situations (laughs) so so funny but the the thing that home alone 2 and home alone 1 has that really to me takes it above just being great comedies is so much heart the relationship between kevin and his mom but really, for me, even more profoundly than in the first one, Kevin and the Pigeon Lady, they have that scene where they're, yes. I, I think, on top of, 
it's Car- I don't know if it's Carnegie Hall or or David Geffen Hall, one of the symphony spaces in New York. And they have this heart to heart and it's so tender and authentic. And and the fact that Kevin listens and engages and becomes friends with this woman and then brings her, spoiler alert, the the turtle dove um ornament at the end, it's so lovely. Yeah, it's uh people forget that's Brenda Fricker who was in my left foot. She won an uh, Oscar for my left yeah, foot. Yeah, yes, she did for supporting. There's yeah. one more thing I would like to say about the Home Alone movies, and then we can move on to your number one. Yes. Fuck Uncle Frank. We don't like Uncle Frank. That um, guy is one of the biggest pieces of shit in the history of American cinema. People, he is so horrible. People forget also that Kieran Culkin is in that movie. Yeah, he's movies. fuller. He's fuller. He's fuller. People don't remember that. And, and now yes. he, he's an incredible Emmy Award nominated actor. <laughs> Um, I, I kind of want him to win the, the Emmy for succession for his, this last season. I don't know if he, I don't know if he will, but, uh, that scene at the funeral anyways. Yeah. Home Alone 2 lost in New York. Great I love pick. this, love this Great movie pick. with all my heart. What a, what a pick. That's, that's like, that's a good one. That's Thank a real good one. All right, Jay drum roll. My, my drum roll. What is your favorite Christmas movie? Um, people who follow me on Twitter at Aesthetic Puppet or on TikTok at Aesthetic Puppet or on Instagram at Aesthetic Puppet can uh, hear me talk about this movie all the time. So this is not a this is not a prediction. This is a spoiler. Um, my favorite Christmas movie is Gremlins. Gremlins. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, man. I this would have been on my list too had it not I been on yours. I love Gremlins. I, I, I my thing about Gremlins. I, the thing about gremlins right. is like, what is what is there what is there not to like about gremlins i mean nothing first of all first of all joe dante directing joe fantastic. dante is a genius joe dante is a genius yeah i don't I think agree. he i don't i don't think he has ever gotten the full credit he deserves for his excuse the pretension of this word his cinematic oeuvre i mean i mean <laughs> how i mean the howling the burbs you know come on uh looney tunes back in action back in action yeah <laughs> but okay gremlins go okay gremlins so gremlins let's talk about gremlins gremlins is gremlins is through and through a christmas movie about a christmas gift gone wrong from a father who is trying to give his son a unique christmas gift that he doesn't appreciate or he doesn't think he appreciates and you know uh, he doesn't follow the instructions i mean if you haven't seen gremlins at this point I, I don't know what to tell you about about gremlins if you're if you're here talking to us I, I would assume you've seen gremlins if you haven't seen gremlins i'd go see it right now yes but but um long story short everything goes wrong you know there's there's tiny little creatures running all over town causing all kinds of calamity and you know driving a you know bulldozer and tearing apart a movie theater and just just hilarity, you know, some slack slapstick humor, some, you know, mildly terrifying humor. Mm. Uh, you know, um, I, I've, I've, I've heard before. I've had somebody come and ask me a couple of years ago if, uh, if they thought if I thought Gremlins was too scary for their five year old. Yes, and and I would say, yeah, it probably is. Yeah, I mean, it's there's some terrifying moments when I was a kid that terrified me, like when you know the Gremlins are growing in their little egg sacs or whatever before they kind of hatch and you know go and run amok, but. I love Gremlins. I, I've always loved Gremlins. I'm surprised. I really am surprised by the the how the film is so timeless. Um, I Gremlins is one of those movies that I'm shocked hasn't been remade yet. I'm honestly just one of those you know that's one of those properties that I'm that I'm shocked nobody's touched yet because it's it's so good. I I loved it throughout my youth through my teens. I, it, that movie has never gotten old to me. 
ever I, ever I, ever ever i i agree gremlins is incredible um yeah. it, it's so tactile with the puppetry and it's so christmasy and it's creepy but it has this great sense of humor and it also has a through line to the movie we were just talking about and that is the screenplay for gremlins was written by chris columbus yes correct yeah um, absolutely so chris columbus has his finger on the the, the christmas pulse the christmas pulse and i also love that there's a little bit of a there's not like a huge lesson in the movie about a lot, but I would say if there was a, it was like a, like an underlying lesson to that movie is that when the movie starts, everybody in the town kind of, kind of uh, treats Billy and, you know, uh, you know, others him in ways, you know, bullies him. There's a lot of terrible people in what's supposed to be a nice idyllic suburban town. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and everybody's supposed to be, I think there is a lampooning in this movie of those nice idyllic suburban towns that just because they look nice doesn't mean that everybody is nice. And just yep. because it's Christmas doesn't mean that everybody's acting how they should. And I agree with you. It, that, it, that, yeah. Good. But that movie is about those people that are not, that are not acting right and being kind to others and stuff kind of, it's about watching them get a hilarious, almost cartoon like comeuppance. Yeah, and I and I also think this is a more obvious message. It it has uh, elements about how, you know, you have to be careful when you're dealing with nature and things you don't understand. People, especially yes. in America, are always so quick to think they know best and dive right in, and mistreat things. And it's not always the case. Um, it's not a Christmas movie, but I also want to say that Gremlins Two: The New Batch is a brilliant sequel. It is so insane. I love Gremlins too. It goes on such a, a a wild turn, and if you haven't seen the Key and Peel sketch about Gremlins two, I highly <laughs> recommend you go on YouTube and watch it because it is so funny. I, I I honestly I honestly love Gremlins two because watching watching John Glover's character, you know, uh, when yes. he plays when he plays Daniel Clamp, you mm -hmm. know, like actually you know put a gremlin through a paper shredder, which is. That's that whole scene is hilarious. You know, there's John, John Glover, who was also in Scrooge. Yes, he was also in Scrooge. Yep. So yep. many, so many overlapping people. Yes. Um, but yeah, Gremlins is my number one uh, by a mile. It will always be my number one. I, I love, love that. Love it. It's such a great choice. My number one, which is actually my number two, but you, my number one was on your list. Anyways, my number, <laughs> my favorite Christmas movie of all time for purposes of this podcast is also a film that deals with small town Americana. Okay. It is a perennial classic of cinema and it is it's a wonderful life it's a wonderful life i think this is simply one of the finest films ever made it is frank capra and post-world war ii jimmy stewart uh, at the peak of their powers um it is surprisingly dark in some ways because it does deal with suicide yes um it also has a sort of um spiritual element and uh with the angel characters um which is not something i always necessarily love or relate to but i think it's handled so beautifully in this movie but it's just such a great it feels like classic americana the the way it develops the small town of bedford falls all of the ancillary characters in george bailey's life um the way you track in the beginning him from a child and you see all the important things that happened to him, his romance, um, his relationship with his brother, taking over the um, the sort of the bank that he runs. And then, of course, you have Mr. Potter as the villain. It's just, it's pretty perfect. 
Um, if, if someone were to say to me, Hey, what's the best performance an actor's ever given in, in, in a film, I would probably have Jimmy Stewart in this movie, very high on my list. Um, you know, he was the classic everyman actor, but he brought so much pathos and intensity and dedication to his craft. Um, and I think he just has so much heart and brings it all to this. And the ending to me, the ending of the movie is like the epitome of what Christmas means and what we were talking about at the top of this episode. It's about family, friends, and community. And it's about being as nice as you can at this time. That can be difficult for a lot of people. And and putting your, in this case, literally money where your mouth is and really coming together to save the little guy in, in the face of opposition from, you know, the uh, capitalist pigs and the villains of society. Um, it's... it's- it's that movie's almost 80 years old and it yeah. still stands the test of time. It's still shown every year repeatedly. Um, one of the things that always stands out to me is that, and it's a timeless message that could be said 80 years from now or 800 years from now is that you never know what kind of impact you're going to have on the world or the people around you. You know um, you'll never know you, you sometimes you can't think about that in certain moments and it, 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 it takes some reminder you know, to to realize, to look back and see what life would be like if, you know, everybody, everybody means something to someone, you know? Yeah, I not not to get too personal, but uh, definitely um, ideation is something that I struggle with from time to time, if, if you know what I mean. Sure. And the notion uh, that sometimes keeps me grounded is the journey that George Bailey is able to go through here in the climax of the film. And that is really you know stopping and thinking and considering what impact you may have had on the people in your life and the places you've been and the paths you've crossed exactly how even when you can feel so down on yourself so hopeless so miserable you have to stop and think how much you may mean or matter to other people and how your very existence is valid and worthwhile because yeah it is just you but life is not just about you. It's about, I hate to, we keep coming back to this word. It's about community and it's about, you know, the, the people that matter. And I find it so powerful and so beautiful. And to me, that is the epitome of what Christmas is exactly as, as a holiday, not, not necessarily as a religious thing, but as a holiday and why I think it is the holiday that everyone, even to an extent, non-Christians like myself gravitate towards it because it has all of these deep, societal meanings and it's just this movie nails that so beautifully i agree that and what a what a great way to uh to wrap this up as far as this section of the podcast almost like we planned it we didn't it just worked out that way it just worked out that way (laughs) um so so we've talked a lot about these movies and christmas and what it means to us and you know i don't want to go on too long but if you were to pick a couple of of highlights of the year for you. And I don't mean favorite movies or anything like that. We could do episodes like that early next year. But when you look back in 2023, for you personally, what, what did this year mean to you? This year was, I, I know, I know we keep saying the word, but it, a lot of it for me was about um, community, about community building and community. I spent a lot of time with a lot of different people this year. And I thought that it was about spending worthwhile time with those, with those folks um, some of the some of the moments for me were, of course, HHN, which we've talked about on this podcast, and and all of the stuff we had, uh, you know, partaken of there. And those were always good times. And it's not about the actual event itself; it's about the people, as we've always said on here. 
I would also say uh, your partner's birthday in March. We mm. uh, we had a great weekend there. I think that was one of my highlights of the year of just spending time and seeing a whole bunch of people and just, you know, sitting in those moments. I, I, I find great joy in sitting in moments where we have these gatherings of people and of people that know each other, I would say fairly well, that can just enjoy each other's company. We don't require any extracurricular activity. We don't have to have, we don't have to plan a game or a, or a, or anything like that. We can just literally exist in a space with food and drinks and, and basically conversation and make our own fun for hours on end. Yeah, yeah. I love that. So those were mine. I, those are the two that stand out to me more than anything else. Um, for what about me, you? Yeah, uh, for me this year, um, obviously had the, you know, very difficult ordeal with the elbow and the recovery, which I'm I'm still undergoing. And so on the one hand, I could sit here and, and look down on this year, but I think both professionally and personally, this was maybe the most important and impactful year I've ever had. I mean, if, even if I sit back and think about this time last year, you and I knew each other, but barely. Yes. You know, we had only met a couple of times at that point. We, we, I think we saw kindred spirits and we're building up this friendship, but you know, I, I now think of all the people I know in the Orlando area, especially as some of my best friends in the world. And I didn't have that this time last year. Of course I have my friends here in New York and friends I've known for years, but I almost now have my foot in two different cities, New York and Orlando. Um, and you know, People ask me, why do you travel down there so much? Well, yeah, sure. I love the theme parks. I love Horror Nights. I, you know, it can be nice to escape cold weather to warmer weather sometimes, but it's really because of you guys. Um, and oh. I feel so blessed to have gotten to know you and your wife and your family and also all of the other friends um, that we know. And we've built this community down there. That's the word of the episode, apparently. Community um, is the word. You know, and and I feel really um, touched and and proud to you know, know all of you guys. And and that's been such a huge impact and has really made my life better. And then the other thing for me is professionally, you know, my theater production company I have with my partner really took some major, major steps this year with some readings and workshops and concerts we did. And, and I feel like we really are on the right track towards being a, a really legitimate company and having great success. And so, you know, sitting here on the precipice of 2024, there's only what, you know, two weeks left this year, approximately. Right. And uh, I, I think despite some fallbacks and obviously horrible, horrible things going on in the world outside of my own world might be the, the best year of my life so far. I love that. I love that. And I'm, and I'm really looking forward to 2024. As you said, there's so many other there's so much stuff on the horizon that it causes one to be um, hopeful and and try to look towards the future yeah. of uh, of that stuff. I'm really excited for for your production company. I'm really excited for 2024 and everything we're going to get up to. I'm excited for this podcast and everything we're going to get up to. I'm just we're just I'm getting just, started here. At Let's we're just, yeah, we're just we're just we are not we haven't even begun to touch the tip of the iceberg of what we hope to accomplish here. And and I, I I'm really, really, really looking forward to 2024, even with the hurdles of 2023, there were still many great moments. And I think we can build on that and make 2024 even better. Yeah, I agree with that. And I also think and this is a lesson that I still am learning. Um, 
things are what you make of it, right? Like mm-hmm. you, I can sit here and actively choose to focus on the good things that happened this year and not the bad things. And that is a conscious choice. Sure. Um, it, it's not always easy. You know, I, I struggle with mental health and your brain, brain can play tricks on you and all that stuff. But in my most cogent and clear moments, I am with every passing day working more and more on making the conscious choice to choose to focus on the positive things, to choose to be as happy as I can be, to choose to put positive vibes out into the world. And that's also why I love doing this podcast with you because, you know, sure, we've been negative about things. We're not going to lie if we don't like something like fuck Five Night at Freddy's. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah, boo, <laughs> boo. <laughs> Maybe the worst movie of the year for my money, but it's all about the overall energy you put out and and what I'm taking away from 2023 and really going to try hard in 2024 is continuing to put positive energy back out into the world and make as much of an impact as I can that way. It, it's, it's uh, I find it uh, really interesting that you had said about, about you were going to basically choose to put positive energy back in the world because, you know, I had thought this year, I had thought a lot this year about um, heading into 2024 and focusing on, I tend to not do like, necessarily like traditional new year's resolutions i try to focus on certain words that i want to uh, highlight in my coming year or things i want to rally around and one of those things for me is about intention okay the word intention and and start to kind of center myself and 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 find out uh what my intentions are with the things i'm doing and and basically be be all in on the things that I do and be honest with myself about the way I'm doing them. And, you know, talking about, you know, Hey, my intentions are to record this podcast every week and be as uplifting as I can, or as positive as I can. That is a clear intention, not coming in to 2024 with muddied intentions of no, oh, maybe I'll do this. Oh, maybe I feel this way about this. No, I want to be more resolute in the, in my yeah. intentions of how I, how I intend to conduct myself or the things I do or the people that I spend my time with. I, I love that. And that really resonates because similarly, I don't necessarily like the notion of New Year's resolutions. Right. I believe in goals, yes. right? I, I think if you set goals for yourself, you have, uh, you know, benchmarks that you can try and clear and goals can shift. And if if you struggle or you don't, you know, achieve them as soon as you want to, you at least can learn lessons on the way and then figure out how you can then pivot to achieve those goals. Resolutions are great. And, you know, maybe one could argue that the semantic difference between goals and resolutions isn't that difference, but goals just feel so much more, as you said, intentional to me. It's a deliberate conscious choice to achieve a goal, whereas a resolution to me just feels more vague and amorphous. Correct. Um, And so, yeah, one of my major goals for 2024 is to record this podcast every week and, and hopefully you guys will keep listening. And it's, you know, this is only episode eight, and and I'm not going to be too sentimental. But the fact that even one person might listen to these episodes means the world to me. Um, and and I thank you so much, Jay, for being the best co-host a person could ask for. No, thank you, thank um, you. You've been you've been amazing. We we love doing this. I like you saying we love doing this. We love every comment or feedback we get, good or bad. We just love that people are listening or or interacting with us or when people send us messages saying that it, we made their commute or their yeah. evening as they went to sleep we love that we I love, we love you we love you for that um looking ahead our, our next episode will be in 2024 which is wild i think some of the things we'll probably do in january is we'll talk about our favorite movies of 2023 
Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, we'll maybe talk about some of the things we're most looking forward to or anticipating in 2024, whether that be movies, TV shows, attractions at theme parks, who knows? Who knows? Um, and uh, we'll see what else the wind may, may take us. But um, to all of our listeners, I, I want to wish you all an incredibly happy holiday season. I hope you get all of the gifts you wish Santa or or Hanukkah Harry or whatever other holiday you may celebrate. I hope you get to spend time with friends and family. I hope it's pleasant and cheery for you because everyone, you you matter. You're all valid. You deserve nothing but good things. So uh, happy holidays and happy new year. And uh, may 2024 bring you everything you deserve. And may you be able to achieve all of the goals that you want to achieve with intention. I love it. I don't have anything to add. That's, I mean, that's perfect. I can't even add anything to it. Amazing. Uh, (laughs) I've been Swell. And I'm Jay. And that was episode eight of Let's Slay. Uh, Have a a very happy new year, everyone. Happy holidays. Woo! Woo! Hello. Did you miss me? When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit.